Welcome to the CompTIA BizTech Podcast, where we talk with industry leaders across our communities and councils to discuss business challenges, opportunities, and strategies for success. Hello, and welcome to the CompTIA BizTech Podcast Series, brought to you by your CompTIA Business of Technology communities worldwide. My name is Gary Bixler, Vice President of Member Communities at CompTIA, and I'm excited, as always, to be your host for this podcast series, where each week we will be bringing you a new podcast around interesting topics related to the business of tech. Each of those podcasts will be brought to you by one of our unique CompTIA member communities from around the world that I hope you're a part of. Uh, if you're not a part of our communities already and you want to be involved, uh, please uh, Join us. We'd love to have you. You can learn more at CompTIA.org, and we'll tell you a little bit more about that uh, at the end of this podcast. Today's podcast uh, is titled MSP Acquisition Roadmap, and it's brought to you uh, once again by our managed services community. So I would like to introduce Miles Jobgen, who manages that community for CompTIA. Welcome back, Miles. Thanks, Gary. It's uh, another good time. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, and this is a great topic, but before we get into uh, the great topic, I wanted to just, uh, uh, you know, follow up on a conversation that we had the last time we had a chance to talk, uh, and we talked a, a little bit about your unique quarantine project, specifically the windmill that you're building, which is pretty unique, and I'm assuming you haven't made a lot of progress since we last talked, because that was not very long ago, so I won't press you for an update on your windmill, but it got me thinking, frankly, about windmills because windmills have had you know a little intersection with my life story and the first intersection um, certainly was my during my childhood we had a lot of windmills I grew up in the panhandle of Texas you know flat you know as far as you can see and you could see windmills dotting the landscape and quite frankly it's it's reminds me of some of the scenes you see uh, painted of the Don Quixote uh, windmill scenes etc yeah um, but then you know, fast forward to um, my kind of adult life and my family life with my wife. I remember my wife telling a story about how she moved from Florida to Texas to the neighborhood that I lived in, which is how we met eventually. Uh, and she made that move when she was a teenager, a junior in high school, I think. And when her father told her that she was moving to Texas from Florida, uh, she said, oh, that's horrible. I said, because she, her expectation was that that would be all tumbleweeds and cowboys on horses and windmills specifically. And she, for some reason, had an aversion to windmills. So, um, and then that, you know, fast forward then to our life now in our home, which is just outside of Austin, Texas, kind of in the hill country. And I remember that we actually have a windmill right at the back of our property. It's actually just over the fence line. So it's not on the property that we own. Um, that was used to provide water for livestock back in the day um, in this uh, you know, general area. And I was excited when we moved in uh, to have that windmill and it would creak and groan at night you know, when the wind turned it. And I thought that was just the coolest, most nostalgic thing you know, ever. My wife, on the other hand, kind of hated it because she's a light sleeper and you know, anything. You know, she has me out chasing crickets you know, in the middle of the night if, if there's one out there. So she did not like it, and I don't know if she uh, somehow ordained this or not, but shortly after we moved in, very large, typical Texas thunderstorm rolled across our hill, hill that we live on and folded our quaint little windmill in half. So our windmill squeaks no more. 
Um, but I have been in talks with our neighbor about possibly repairing and restoring that windmill. So I just wanted to say, Miles, you inspired me to maybe engage my own uh, windmill project. That's awesome. That's great. Um, if I could, just, just real briefly, um, I grew up in uh, Batavia, mm -hmm. Illinois, which was called the City of Energy, because uh, we're right where uh, Fermilab is right there as well. But there was a, our big sledding hill was just north of Batavia in between and Geneva has, was the windmill. And there was a big hill and it goes down to the river. But yeah, it was like you could see the windmill there and that's how you knew where to go sledding. But anyway, it's great stuff. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. Well, again, you know, uh, enough tilting at windmills, as, I, as we said during right? our last podcast. Um, you know, we need to get to the topic at hand, but uh, we'll want to keep tabs on your windmill project for sure. Mine's not going to go anywhere, I can tell you. <laughs> so uh, so I, I think that one's dead in the water, but hopefully yours will get finished uh, soon. But let's talk about um, an MSP acquisition roadmap. It's an interesting topic for me uh, because even though you know, not all MSPs are in acquisition mode or feel like they're targets of acquisition currently. Um, but the environment right now, the business environment has been for a while is very rich for acquisitions. There's a lot of them going on. And even an MSP that's not currently in play or doesn't feel like they're currently in play, I think this should be an interesting topic because almost every MSP, you know, has some vision for their kind of future and their, you know, exit plan, if you will, and kind of how they want to monetize the, the business at some point. And so Absolutely. I think it's a fascinating Absolutely. Uh, topic and, you know, one that, that I think your EC, you know, has kind of brought forward as a, a great topic for one of these podcasts. So you know, how, how do you feel about how this topic kind of evolved and came about? Sure. So, one of the, the goals, of course, of the, the community and the executive council is to, to foster growth strategies, right? So whether that be, you know, improved sales and marketing or better solution development or whatever it is, acquisition is another way. So obviously there's two sides of any acquisition. Um, and as, uh, as Heartland and I with the Heartland's with eBridge Marketing Solutions is going to be the guest for today, um, as we were kind of we're thinking about the conversation, we decided to lean in a little bit more on the acquirer, right? So who's, who's looking around um, and felt that if, if, you know, there was some interest, we could follow this up on, on the other side of how to be prepared to be acquired. So, so today is a little bit more about the, the growing of your own organization, not necessarily the cashing out, but that'll be coming out later. Um, you know, that we could talk about that too, but this is, um, you know, just another strategy. Um, Heartland shared with me a lot of great uh, uh, ideas to, to get behind this and to really kind of evaluate and make sure that you're making the right move and, and that the organization is going to be a good fit for you and those kinds of things like that. So, um, and as you said, acquisitions were, were, were hot. Um, you know, coming into the year, uh, we might have had some some things happen the, the spring and summer, but obviously coming out of this, there's going to be a bit of a field day, I think, of, of organizations that are well positioned to grow um, by, by acquiring maybe others that, um, that, that did not survive as well. So mm -hmm. um, it's a little ugly sometimes, but, but that can be the reality. And, um, but anyway, I, I think acquisition is a, is a very valid, um, you know, growth strategy for people to be considering right now. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you're right. And even, even those that are, you know, not in the acquirer seat, if you will, that is, is as you said, the focus for this particular podcast, 
even those that may be on the other side, I think will find this interesting because it's always good to understand the mind of the person on the other side of the table. Absolutely. And this will give them some insight into that. So I, I think it's a fascinating topic and you've got a great guest. Uh, so I'm going to just hand it over to you, Miles, let you introduce uh, our guest and let's get this conversation started. I have the pleasure of speaking with Hartland Ross about acquisitions as a growth strategy today, which is pretty cool. Um, I, I, I've met Hartland rather recently, but we kind of hit it off pretty well, so we're having a good time. And uh, Hartland is the founder and president of eBridge Marketing Solutions, uh, an agency that is focused on organic growth through things like digital marketing and uh, the normal activities that you would look to, to immediately try to grow your business, but also inorganic growth. So how can you maybe merge with somebody or acquire somebody? So other ways that, that aren't readily you know, at your fingertips, how else can you grow your business? And that's really what we want to get into today. Uh, so Hartland, at his job there at eBridge Marketing Solutions, he leads the M&A transactions uh, through their use of uh, their site, the MSPbroker.com, which puts buyers and sellers together in a marketplace. So with that experience, we've got a great topic from Heartland to cover how an MSP can work through a little roadmap of, of considerations and things they need to be thinking about when it comes to growing through an acquisition. Uh, we want to be able to kind of move you all through this early due diligence and, and, oh my gosh, what are all the things I need to track all the way through a successful close that is a, a great gain for your business, for the company that you acquire, for your clients, right? We want to make this a really big success for you. So Hartland, welcome to CompTIA Cast. How are you today? Great, Miles. Thank you very much. Uh, appreciate the uh, the intro and the opportunity to uh, to speak to uh, uh, with you and, and your listeners today. And uh, I think uh, you and I were chatting uh, before about the, the sort of timeliness of, uh, of this sort of medium for communication, uh, given uh, some of the the things going on uh, in this. Uh, this, this week and, and the weeks to come. So, so thanks very much. And yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go excited. Awesome. All right. Um, so how would we, uh, how do you want to kick this off? <laughs> well, uh, Miles, I think that um, what I wanted to talk about to, to, with the visitors today is just, or the listeners rather today is um, uh, a little bit uh, about uh, some of the experiences that, that we've had and, and sort of relay some of those, those uh, considerations, those tips, if you like, to managed service providers and specifically uh, aimed today at buyers, although uh, there may be some sellers or con potential uh, sellers, so those considering selling at some point in the future that may get some value out of this, knowing what, what buyers are focused on and in the process of, of listening to what buyers are focused on, uh, they may be able to better um, Structure and and cater their their business uh, to uh, to a you know a, a prospective buyer at some stage down the road. So um, you know with that I, I really just wanted to go through a number of um, of points here and uh, um, hopefully there's uh, some new things that some of the listeners can uh, can gather whether they've uh, done acquisitions in the past or not. So I think that, you know, really just not in, in any order, and by the way, this is not necessarily a comprehensive list of everything that one should consider, but just some of the, the pitfalls and the learnings that, that we've seen over the years. So uh, first one is, is really just to ensure that, that the target uh, prospect business and, and is one where uh, the customer base is adding uh, strategic value to your existing business. 
So when when looking at that question, uh, just thinking about what is your as a as you as a buyer um, thinking about what your uh, exit strategy would be at some point down the road. So how will this business, how will this customer base uh, fit together, work together with your existing uh, team, your people, your culture, your your existing customer base, your technology, uh, you know services offered. So so for example, um, the customer base is it the same industry? Um, are these the same types of decision makers? Are they a more technical decision maker, or are these decisions primarily made by the, the business owner? And the, the services being offered, is there an alignment there? Are there different vendors that are being used for the same service where now you're going to have to um, move customers from one vendor to another vendor, let's say it's a backup service or something, for example? Um, or does it open up new doors to, to new vendors and, and new services and new people with new sets of skills that can support customers in ways that you haven't historically been able to? So, so look at that and make sure that there's a fit. And, and there should be a fit on um, from multiple perspectives. Uh, some of these things can certainly be modified, but some things are very difficult. For example, uh, culture is one where uh, you're probably going to to run up against some real friction if you're radically changing uh, the culture. And that, that assumes, of course, that you're retaining the team in the first place. If you're simply just taking over the customers and supporting them with your existing team, then uh, you're, you're going to have other considerations. But uh, the, the people, the team, the culture is... Uh, would not be one of those in that case. That's uh, having the, the the people and their like reaction to these things. I think is a you know uh, maybe not overlooked, but it's a uh, maybe an underserved piece, right? Um, you know, you you mentioned right there. There's there could be a lot of consternation among that organization being acquired. Um, you know, what's going to happen with my job, right? And and so how do you you know they have to think through that as well, right? What is that ultimate goal of of that acquisition that gets to your point of making sure that it's aligned with their business growth goals and and that that customer base feeds what they're trying to do. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, from a that's that's one of the biggest challenges is the the cultural fit. And so to to really understand what the uh, the values, the you know, the norms, the processes that uh, the, the the target uh, seller has currently in place, and and to um, you know either evaluate that through the um, typically the the business owner or, or perhaps the, the senior management team but ultimately ideally to be able to have an opportunity to speak to some of those those team members uh, is going to be key and and the it may not be possible. You may not be able to get beyond senior management because typically in these instances, the the frontline uh, group are, are not necessarily aware of a, you know a pending sale. But to the extent that you can really wrap your head around uh, what some of those processes are, and to the extent that some of them may be things that are uh, going to work, integrate well with with your existing business, and others uh, may cause some significant friction. And, and, you know, looking at some of the various models to look for similarities and differences and then coming up with strategies for, for mitigation in the event of, of differences. But I think that to the extent that you can uh, alleviate uh, concerns and anxiety uh, from the, the team uh, in terms of um, giving them things like, for example, employment contracts, where uh, they'll they'll have an understanding that hey there's there's a, a roadmap ahead and I understand clearly that there's no intention here of, of firing me and, or or using me as a sort of an interim solution during a transition period. Um, ideally, you may want to consider raising their their salaries and or benefits and or uh, job 
um, uh, perks, if you like, uh, maybe um, uh, you know, not necessarily vacation time, but but uh, opportunities for them to to enhance them, enhance themselves, uh, integrate with their families and whatnot. So taking a real inventory of what the seller um, structure, uh, you know, what their structure um, looks like, and where there may be some opportunities to improve that um, and alleviate some of that anxiety. It sounded like you had referenced that there there may be tools to help people out there to kind of uh, to think away, maybe frameworks and stuff to address this and help kind of that, that strategic alignment and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to be candid, that's not um, something that we typically um, provide directly ourselves, but absolutely there are frameworks to evaluate the, the culture and the fit. And of course, there are consultants who can do that as well. If you have as a buyer, someone on your team who heads up HR, this should be in their wheelhouse. If you don't, I, I highly recommend uh, looking at uh, an external uh, HR consultant who can uh, specifically uh, uh, alleviate uh, you know some of these issues uh, you know on a kind of a, a project basis uh, while you go through this this transi- uh, transition and uh, proposed transaction it, it it sounds like the the key to all of this is um very wide open eyes right and and taking your time um to to before you pull that trigger on something because once that happens maybe you you know if you've missed a step or something then that's where the problems occur so when we get into this due diligence, what what other maybe kind of things should they uh, be considering? So we've we've got the culture, we've got the strategic alignment and the customer base. Um, what other kind of factors might be playing a role? Yeah, um, you know, I think there's there's quite a few. I'll, maybe I'll just continue uh, yeah, in, my, uh, in my in my um, thought process here and relay some of the other ones. And I, and uh, as I mentioned, these aren't necessarily in any specific order, but uh, uh, recurring revenue is, is really a focus uh, these days for, for most buyers. And so, so to the extent that you're looking at an opportunity uh, where there may be a VAR business, a break-fix business, a, uh, a business where uh, hours are sold in blocks, that type of thing, uh, this would be certainly a serious um, consideration and, and, and one where uh, if as an existing buyer, you have a, a primarily a recurring revenue-based business. It's going to be hard to move some of these customers into that recurring model. Not impossible, but difficult. So certainly another uh, consideration is uh, the extent to which there's recurring revenue. Um, primarily, buyers are looking, from what we've seen anyway, uh, a threshold of about 50% of recurring revenue or more as a desirable uh, kind of target. Um, there's also uh, an importance to, to really have a, def- you know, to answer your question, uh, Miles, a defined process for the acquisition. So uh, looking at making sure that you have uh, pre-existing due diligence questions before you get on a call with a, a prospective seller so that you're not sort of making it up as you go along and, and that you actually have a, a set of questions that are going to be um, divided up into whether it be financial, technical, human resources, operational, uh, marketing, strategic, Etc., and that you have a technical team uh, who can lead this process, and that you have uh, legal counsel uh, as well in your court, and also uh, you know a CPA to evaluate the, the financial considerations. So these are uh, you know some of the if you don't have them in your uh, in your uh, as part of your your sort of management team, uh, they certainly should be external advisors for you. 
There is a um, lot and, to it. It sounds like I'm sorry I didn't mean to cut you off, but there, yeah, there's a lot to this. I want to. Um, I'm going to back off actually. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah, there, well, there's there's certainly, and, and I think that you know, the more experience that you have, uh, the more uh, you're you're going to have this. This is a this is a, just a system like every other system. But I've certainly been on many calls before where it becomes a a, a bit of a. a you know, a, a dynamic uh, conversation as a result of, of answers to questions, and it's, it's really not, uh, you know, an overarching kind of uh, plan. And, and the, the buyer comes across feeling disorganized to the seller, and of course that doesn't instill confidence in the seller, and uh, and they're uh, they as a buyer end up uh, becoming discounted as a you know in terms of um, the, the likelihood that they're going to be able to pull off a successful transaction. You know, that's a good point because this isn't simply adding a new solution or a new, you know, technology tool or something to help you do your business. There's, there's, this is like a marriage, <laughs> you know, like there, there's the, 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 the seller Absolutely. has to be, yeah, feel good about the whole thing too. Yeah. I think that there may be a preconceived notion that the buyers in this are the driver's seats and the buyer, as long as they make a good offer that they'll, the seller will sell to them. And, and although there's some truth to that, uh, it do, does depend on the deal, and, and certainly if a seller doesn't feel uh, confident in the buyer's ability to pull off a successful transaction, and that means that they're going to get paid just because there's an offer doesn't mean they're actually going to get paid. So uh, is that what's that likelihood? What's that risk? And, of course, uh, payment terms is going to come into that. So uh, the more trust they have, the more likely that they're going to be willing to extend uh, vendor financing and payment terms over uh, you know, some longer period of time. Uh, there's also the, the technical capabilities to, to support the customer base. A lot of times the seller looks at this as their baby. They started this business, they founded it, and in some cases they just want to get out. But in a lot of cases it's their baby and they want to pass it off to someone who's going to be capable and competent to look after the customers. The customers in a lot of cases may, uh, certainly if it was started from scratch, may be um, almost friends of the seller. And the seller wants to ensure that, uh, that they're well taken care of going forward. So the, the buyer will need to demonstrate their competency in, in all these regards. So is, that, is there a particular uh, way, for, best way for them to kind of do that, for the, for the buyer to, to show their competencies in these areas? Is it just through conversation? Is it, uh, are there like, how would that work? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I guess the, the easiest one would just be to, sh to demonstrate uh, prior successful history of, of prior transactions. Uh, so to the extent that they can provide references, for example, of other transactions that they've done and that those uh, sellers uh, either fully received their, their payments uh, or that they're continuing to receive payments but uh, speak to the timeliness of those payments and they didn't have to be chased up, to speak to the technical competency, to speak to the, the timelines that were involved in that transition period that they didn't take six months to do something that should have taken one month. And, uh, and then the you know, ability to, to handle the, the human resources uh, aspect. So I think that's probably one of the best. Obviously, everybody's got to start somewhere. And if you haven't done any transactions, then uh, you're not going to be able to provide that as evidence. But uh, you could certainly uh, speak to your, your history, uh, the, the management of uh, the current customer base that you have, and, uh, and you know, the vendors that you use and familiarity with those same systems, et cetera. So, uh, you know, those are all Anything else that you can uh, certainly provide, I mean, awards and whatnot will, uh, will go a long way. And, and uh, management uh, team and, and their competencies, skill sets, um, certifications, et cetera. Nice. Is there, um, uh, so 
let, maybe let's get into a little bit of kind of, you know, touching on your marketplace and, and how someone can find, um, you know, eligible people who are even saying, hey, <laughs> I'm interested in being acquired. Sure. Yeah, we, what we did is um, many years ago, we ended up with requests from uh, buyers and sellers alike. Uh, we had buyers that were looking for opportunities to, to grow more quickly than they could organically. We had sellers who uh, were, for one reason or another, wanting to exit the industry. They, in some cases, they may have been burnt out. In other cases, they may have just uh, been looking for uh, you know, a new opportunity, something to do something new. And uh, in other cases, there may have been extenuating circumstances around health or, or you know, marital issues or whatnot that uh, they needed to sell the business. And so we started putting those buyers and sellers together, and, and we uh, do it for IT service firms uh, in general, MSPs being one of those. And so our site, the MSPbroker.com, is where uh, you know, somebody could go and register to uh, – uh, be notified of, of new opportunities. Our mailings generally go out on Wednesdays, and it's free to subscribe, and um, they can uh, be notified there. Uh, alternatively, they can certainly go, out, go to the site and, and check it out themselves, but they're not going to be notified unless they sign up um, uh, for, of, of the new opportunities. So if they have any questions, they can certainly feel free to uh, reach out to, to me, to us. probably easier just to direct them to the site and the contact details there, and uh, I'll be able to, to end up seeing those. Excellent. All right, let's get back to the uh, kind of the, the 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 roadmap, right? Um, sure. So, so yeah. So kind of what's 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 next? So they're they're pulling together these considerations. They've got their advisory team together. They've examined maybe a few options and 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 are finding strategic alliances that would make sense. Kind of what's next? Yeah. What else do they need to do? Well, so I got a, a few other things I wanted to cover here. So, you know, one of them would be, are, as a buyer, are you willing to compete for opportunities? You know, is there a strategic fit? Because if there is, it may be that there's a reason that you wish to pay more, uh, more than perhaps market value or more than, uh, than other competitive bids to the extent that there are other groups bidding. Um, alternatively, if there isn't a strategic fit, and, and, and I'm talking about opportunities where uh, you may have been interested in launching a, a new service and the, the prospect of a seller as a team that is, is fully versed and um, and kind of um, integrated uh, this new offering into their into their um, uh, business, and so this becomes more turnkey for you to take over. So you're buying a skill set, you're buying a system. Um, so in, in cases where you've got that, or maybe it's a market that you want to be in geographically, or an industry that you want to target and become familiar with, then there may be reasons to pay a bit more. But the reason I bring it up is because. Um, a lot of times these end up end up being a, a competing situation where there's more than one group interested. And so to the extent that you can understand how strategic this is versus just another opportunity, uh, we'll have you better understand whether it makes sense to, to pay more. There may be some um, time to market uh, aspects and benefits to, to going the acquisition route rather than, you know, rolling out over six months to a year and trying to do it yourself and learn all of the, uh, you know, the, that, you know, go through the pitfalls and, and learn the hard way, I guess, is uh, really what I'm tr trying to uh, get after. So that's another consideration. Um, gr um, growing the business, um, you know, is that, a, is that a possibility? And and if so, how would you plan on doing that? And, you know, this really needs to look different than what the seller has historically been doing because if the seller, or sorry, assuming that the seller, um, seller wasn't successful, uh, then, 
uh, you, you need to do something different. And a lot of times the seller is going to uh, justify their results by saying that, uh, well, the sales are lower because, uh, you know, we stopped marketing. But if you were to simply uh, turn, uh, you know, Google ads back on again, uh, the leads would start flowing and the business would take off. And of course, if it were that simple, the seller probably would have done it themselves. And so likely it's not that simple, although uh, in fairness, a lot of uh, MSP owners are, are not necessarily the best marketers. Uh, hence, uh, you know the, the business that we're in. But nonetheless, uh, point is that uh, you know, understand what are you going to be able to do to try to grow the business. And so, you know, another uh, related point to that is, is that is there an opportunity to, to potentially upsell um, some of these existing customers, and looking for um, opportunities where uh, you you can um, offer cross-sell and upsell you know, new services to, to an existing customer base on both fronts. Uh, you know, some of the new services that you're acquiring uh, from, the, uh, from the seller, offering to your existing buyers, and vice versa. I think the important consideration there, though, is just to make sure that it's coming from a, a place of authenticity, and uh, particularly if the uh, customers that are being acquired get wind uh, of the fact that this is a new a new owner, new ownership, if it ends up uh, being perceived as a cash grab, uh, then uh, it's probably not going to go over so well. So, so to try to really um, come to terms with uh, you know, where, where are the opportunities and, and uh, you know, identify the, the real uh, value to the, the customers, and you know, this is probably going to be an individual outreach uh, exercise. Um, a few other things. So... Are there any other benefits that you as a buyer could add and um, uh, integrate into your, your proposed uh, offer uh, that would be attractive to a seller? So uh, examples might be uh, employment opportunities if the seller uh, wanted to stay on, for example, and maybe they stay on temporarily, maybe they stay on more permanently. In some cases, the seller may be looking to not necessarily leave or retire, but, but really looking to want to be something, part of something larger. And so is there a role that they could play? Or is there an opportunity to structure a deal where there's more uh, cash up front uh, versus vendor financing to accommodate uh, their, their preferences? Perhaps they need the cash for, for some other either business or project or uh, you know, uh, retirement uh, uh, expense, et cetera. Uh, could there be opportunities for referral fees going forward in the in the event that the seller moves on and is involved in some sort of a, an opportunity where they could potentially be a source of referred leads? And we've seen in some instances where actually the reason that they're selling their MSP in the first place is they've become a vendor to the industry, to the space. They, they solve some sort of problem. Uh, they spun out the, the, uh, the solution. They've productized something. And so now... Uh, the uh, buyer could become a potential uh, customer of the sellers with the seller's new um, uh, you know, ISV, independent software vendor, uh, SaaS type uh, solution as, a, as a, a vendor in the marketplace. So anyway, point is that there could be some other benefits that you can pro provide to a uh, prospective um, uh, seller. Um, another really important point is to really instill trust with the seller. I, I spoke to this earlier about their, you know, this being a sort of a two-way street, and you know, we talked about uh, you know, interviewing almost the, the buyers as well uh, from the seller's perspective. But you know, part of that is as you go through the process is you're going to make an offer, the offer is going to get accepted, you're going to move into a, a due diligence phase, and you're, you're going to move into that after having signed the letter of intent or term sheet, if you like. Uh, but 
you may find in that due diligence process information that, that uh, surfaces that originally uh, you weren't aware of. And so now your question is, well, what do I do with that information? And is that material to the deal? And if it is, you may need to change your offer. Uh, however, don't take that lightly because, of course, when you do that, the seller can break the, um, the, the typically these are non-binding term sheets, and so they can break the, uh, um, the, the, the no-shop uh, exclusivity period and, and open it up to new buyers. And also, uh, there's a strategy that uh, can be used by some unscrupulous buyers where they may provide a higher offer initially just to, to lock it up and then uh, try to look for issues in the due diligence phase uh, with the intention of being able to renegotiate at that point uh, in the, uh, with the idea that they have a bit more leverage at that point. So to, to really um, consider if you do have to change your offer, but that that, that uh, will impact trust uh, fairly significantly. Um, I think that if you can, as a buyer, uh, put together a bit of a story as to why you feel that this opportunity uh, is going to be a good fit for your existing business, how you see it fitting in, the people, the products, the, the you know the services, the customer base, and, and uh, you know this is it's really my point here is all related to uh, establishing trust with the seller. You were going to say something, Miles? Just that, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. That it almost is like um, it, it, it's like the exact same process you would go just to sell yourself to your clients, right? I mean, even though you're a buyer in this situation, it's yep. it's it's fully thinking through why am I doing this? How is this going to impact my business? What are my plans for doing, you know, when I have this new stuff that I didn't have before or, or whatever it is, right? And, and, and just kind of working through that whole thing. So anyone, it seems almost like if you're, if you're a good business person and you're running a, a good business and you've got happy clients and you're able to pay your employees, um, if it makes sense to grow this, this, and you're doing these things, it seems like it's something that, hey, even you can do it, right? It's okay. I think that, that maybe there's a bit of fear um, on, on, a, on, a, on a buyer side of, oh my gosh, what will this do to my business? Like if it doesn't go right, you know, something along those lines is, do, do you find that there's anxiety on the, on the buyer side? Well, I, I, I absolutely uh, there would be, and of course it depends on the situation. I mean, we've been in situations where um, a first deal fell through, and then they're onto the second buyer, and the second buyer falls through. And don't forget, there could be uh, probably months in this process with each one. So they've been through two or three months with the first group, then it falls through, then two or three months with the second group, then it falls through. So uh, you you can bet that by the third time around, they're they're pretty anxious. Uh, so I, I I don't specifically check in with them on, on anxiety, although I can typically kind of gauge uh, you know, where, where they're at and, and no doubt uh, there's, there's anxiety. I, I think even if it all goes smoothly, there's still anxiety because there's the unknown. Right. And, and, and then there's also you know, just other things. There's always a risk of not getting paid. It, uh, who knows? I mean, the company could, the buyer could have certainly the best of intentions of, uh, of making payments. And then you've got something like what's happening in the world right now going on, which uh, may, may, you know, significantly impact uh, uh, some businesses to the point where it was uh, something that they, is unforeseen and, and they're not able to accommodate. And you know, in most cases, those end up getting worked out but um, without uh, it getting too ugly. But uh, certainly, um, uh, you know, anxiety would and, – and there's going to be some anxiety on the, on the buyer side uh, potentially as well. So it's not uh, – you know, this, this really needs to be a, a harmonious uh, you know, process and both need to work in good faith. 
yeah, I think one of the maybe the factors there is, um, you know, how, who runs the business while I'm doing this, <laughs> right? How does a, are there ways to, uh, or, you know, considerations or best practices of, you know, how can, you know, day to day still needs to get done and sometimes emergencies yeah. still arise up, but you know, you're focused on this, obviously you're not doing this 24 hours a day, but um, is it is it just simply, hey, you're gonna have a period of several months where you're just gonna have to work more or is there maybe are there the ways that they can approach that? Yeah, you know, it's a great question and, and I think it's an important, really important consideration actually for, for you to be bringing this up because, you know, there's the um, perception, I think, in the cases of let's call them the non-professional sellers, the professional, or sorry, excuse me, buyers, the non-professional buyers. And a professional buyer would be a private equity firm or uh, a group that's perhaps gotten together and, and, and merged and tasked one or two people with uh, going continuing to grow the business and so everybody else uh, sort of becomes part of the the, the partnership uh, is, is now charged with running the business, but a couple of people might be spearheading the, the M&A process, and that's, you know, heads down uh, entirely focused on that. But, you know, that, those groups aside, uh, then the, the uh, you know, the buyer that uh, is, is kind of trying to do everything themselves and wear multiple hats, absolutely. I mean, the business needs to continue. And so to the extent that they don't have somebody running it, they're going to have to wear multiple hats. And, and the challenge with that is oftentimes they end up getting slowed down in the due diligence phase and, and a group that can focus on it heavily uh, can, can overtake them. And so it may be a perfect opportunity that a, a buyer who just doesn't have the bandwidth resources uh, can't move quickly enough to be able to, to secure it. Or even if they could secure it, they can't get the due diligence done uh, you know, quickly enough. So I think it's important to understand that this is a fairly time-consuming um, you know, it's almost a, a second role entirely, a second job and responsibility. So if, ideally, you'd have someone who can continue to run the business. Um, the other thing to recognize is, is that you may go through this process uh, and either not be the successful bidder as a buyer or uh, you go through the process and get into due, due diligence only to find that the, um, the, the target seller is not one that you're going to want to move forward with for one reason or another. And of course, all of that invested time is uh, not going to uh, amount to anything. And, and you'll, you can use it for obviously experience for, for the next one, but it's um, fairly uh, you know, a time-consuming process. So uh, a, a good point. And you don't want your existing business to, uh, to suffer as a result. For sure. And, and actually, maybe uh, one of the other points that I somewhat related to that last one here that I wanted to cover was that the um, existing owner or management team um, ideally would stay on. And, and I highly recommend that to provide that transition support period. And, you know, what is that time period? Well, it depends on the, the uh, size of the business. It, it depends on uh, the role that the seller plays in the business, if they're not operational day-to-day -day and you're taking over the team, then you probably don't need them for quite uh, such a so long a period. Uh, but that, that the help for you as a buyer will also come, you know, not at the front end due diligence, but once the deal is, is completed, uh, will um, be supported with an owner that is going to stay on to provide this, this transition period. And, and so that's going to be you know, key to success and also, of course, uh, tying in any staff that are retained and, and getting their buy-in. Nice. When it, um, when it comes to laying down that big 
check. <laughs> is it uh, is it best to, to pursue you know uh, business loans? I mean, how how do they you know kind of come up with the capital? I guess to um, to say you know what we can do this and it's not going to break me. Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a number of different options available. I think the important thing is that you need to make sure you're not overextending yourself and funding from uh, from cash flows, but rather uh, from uh, you know prior year retained earnings, uh, debt. Um, you know, and, and particularly debt through the, the SBA process, and also um, external, you know, um, uh, financing, be it through uh, investors or, or, of course, um, vendor financing is, is going to be another key one. Excellent. All right. Um, I had one more question, but I didn't. I wanted to make sure if the, that we got through all of the points that you wanted to, to share today. Sure. Look, um, we're we're almost there. <laughs> Just a few more. So, so I think another one that's important is, and I, I'm not necessarily, I think, in agreement with with uh, everybody on this one, but uh, my position with respect to announcing these these types of transactions is is my view is to always rock the boat as little as possible with the customer base. So if the customer base needs to be uh, notified of the transaction uh, for one reason or another, for example, if there's uh, if the staff aren't being retained and people have you know relationships where hey Miles is my support guy and I talk to Miles every periodically with every so often with questions and whatnot and all of a sudden Miles is gone and the other person that I've uh, dealt with the odd time is also gone, then the customers need to be notified but to the extent that everything can be uh, retained and and the sort of status quo uh, my view is to generally uh, rock the boat as little as possible and therefore not uh, make announcements to to customers to not do uh, press releases and to uh, try to you know for instance billing addresses as well put a if it's a PO box or an office that uh, you know they had and, and now you're changing you can simply do a mail forwarding on those things you can um, change the the name for for a payment processor so that it comes up with something similar uh, on the website uh, over time you know again not to say that some of these things can't change it's just don't change them all on day one so for instance in the beginning you're buying let's say the target is uh, um, ABC and that um, the, the, uh, that's the target company and your company is XYZ. So in the beginning, it's ABC company. And then uh, the next step would be uh, that uh, ABC is an XYZ company. And then the third step is it's changed to, to XYZ as the buyer's uh, company name. So you can do these things in steps. And uh, the, the rationale for this is because whenever uh, there's a buyer that um, is taken over to customer base, the immediate thing that the customer is going to be thinking is, well, am I going to get as good a service as I have historically, assuming that they've been happy, of course. Um, uh, are the prices going to go up? Uh, what other changes? Uh, I have a, a favorite uh, support person, Miles, and is Miles going to be my, my main person anymore? What if I don't like the new person? And so it, it opens up this question as to whether they should be looking at other vendors. That's another one that uh, I think is uh, important to to provide some serious uh, consideration to. Um, I, I, you know, related to that, actually, another one that I wanted to cover was providing some some radical, uh, perhaps radical anyway, incentives to the customers. And so when you take over. Um, you know, really investing in them and demonstrating your interest in their success. And so, I, you know, from my perspective, I'm looking at this as to say, well, you know, ultimately, the the buyer is 
is buying these customers and buying a revenue stream. And so you want to provide some insurance that that revenue stream is going to continue. And so to the extent that you can alleviate any friction in the process uh, will, will help um, you know, reduce the, that churn. And so things like upgrading their levels of service, um, sending them uh, you know, a thank you gift, uh, perhaps taking them out for dinner, depending on how many customers there are, uh, offering them some additional uh, support or, or you know, maybe some, some features, ideally all of these things at, at no cost or at least uh, in, on the interim, uh, you know, are going to uh, demonstrate to these customers that the, the buyer um, is, is, is here for their success, that they're uh, not simply going to be coming in and, and you know, raising all the prices and lowering service and whatnot. So um, you know, alleviating some of those concerns. And some of these can be done um, publicly. If it, I mean, if they, it's publicly announced that there's a new buyer, then you, know, you can certainly uh, um, uh, be more sort of forthright with your, your intentions around these things. And, and in other cases, it may just be a matter of, of solidifying those customers and, and kind of doing it uh, despite them uh, not uh, being aware that there's a new buyer behind the scenes. I think the, the last one uh, is really just um, going to the, this fair process with, um, with working with um, a, you know, a buyer and seller. And, and fairness creates a supportive seller. And when a seller is, deems that the, the whole process is fair and they're being treated with respect, uh, it, it alleviates the stress, as we talked about earlier, and, and really um, allows for what's probably going to be some inevitable give and take as the, uh, as the process and relationship unfolds, and if there's a transition support period, again, the transa transaction doesn't end uh, on the day of close, but uh, rather there's going to be some period of time of, of overlap where the seller is providing uh, help and still involved in the business and perhaps uh, you know, still in communication with some of the, the um, customers. And so if the seller is going to be a part of this, this process, uh, you want them to be looking out for your best interests and not just sort of simply showing up out of uh, contractual obligations because there is some uh, predetermined period of time that they needed to stick around for. Uh, and so to the extent that the seller feels uh, there's a, they have a, they're a vested interest in, in um, supporting those customers and, and uh, you know, growing the business and seeing that the, the buyers uh, are going to be successful in this uh, will end up um, being a you know, much more uh, beneficial, successful outcome for you as a buyer. And of course, an earnout. Uh, is a common way of structuring these things, or at least a percentage uh, of the transaction being completed as an earnout, and uh, that's certainly you know, one way to align the uh, the interests of, of both groups. So you know, this this sort of speaks to a few of the points that I've mentioned, which is uh, you know reducing friction here, whether it's with the customers, reducing friction with the, the buyer and seller process, and uh, I think that you know and, and really the whole thing comes down to trust. It comes down to trust from a seller with sellers, um, and it comes down to trust with customers. And so, to the extent that you can alleviate uh, that in in a lot of the things that I've discussed, I think uh, it'll make it a lot uh, easier and, and less stressful and more successful uh, outcome. So, Miles, I mean, those are those are some of the uh, areas that I wanted to cover today. Um, I mean, I'm happy to, if you have any other questions that came up from that, we can certainly cover those, uh, you know, to the extent that we have time today. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I just got one last one, and, and we touched on it a little bit earlier, but maybe, um, like, what are the, uh, what kind of signals should, should a business owner be looking at when, to make that decision, to say, you know what, this, this organic and our digital marketing growth is, is good, but that's at this rate. What I really need is this big chunked jump. You know, so are there, are there certain things that they can look for to say, hey, wait a minute, 
acquisition is a better opportunity for me right now than than just natural growth. Yeah, so this is, I mean, I've done whole sessions. That's on a this, big question, so I know. That's <laughs> a big question, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I guess I have a few answers to you on that. I think the first thing is, is that it depends on what market that they're in and the, the cost to, to acquire organic leads. So if you're in a big urban center in New York City, Los Angeles, uh, you know, Atlanta, Dallas, or some Chicago, somewhere, you know, places like that, the cost to acquire uh, leads um, organically through marketing uh, may end up being just, uh, you know, um, beyond the point that's going to make sense. Right, your your ROI is just going to uh, be pushed too far down the road, and and so in those cases, uh, you know, M and A uh, looking at um, opportunities to to acquire a customer base is uh, perhaps going to make sense. Um, also, of course, uh, speed is going to be a factor in this, and this speaks to uh, just you know more of a strategic uh, uh, question as to uh, you know what your your plans are. If you're looking at growing more quickly, then then M and A is the the route to do to do that. Um, it's also instead it, it it doesn't allow you to um, to scale uh, in, in, a, in a kind of an organized way necessarily because you're going to be adding all of a sudden 30, 50, 100, 150, 200 uh, customers, and and so um, you need to make sure that you have the systems in place to be able to accommodate that. When you grow organically, uh, you know if, if you've launched a new product or new service and it's not quite um, being rolled out the way you'd like it to be, uh, you you have the ability to uh, to, to make those adjustments, and you're, there's not sort of as much at stake. And and then you know another question, of course, is just really what the objectives are for for growth. Uh, I sure. mean, if you're looking for a lifestyle business, um, then you you may not be looking to uh, you know build an empire. And, right. Uh, right. So in that case, uh, you know. Growing uh, incrementally, one customer at a time, is, uh, is is probably a little bit easier to uh, certainly to manage, and um, may fit into your your objectives more so than you know uh, certainly like a you know what I said earlier, a professional buyer where uh, they're uh, they're looking for uh, you know growth almost at at all costs. Sure, sure, awesome. Hey, this was great. Um, I I I. I I don't know. This is great. <laughs> Just thank you for sharing your, your time, um, your expertise. Um, I, I think it would make sense. Um, you and I could follow up again um, and, and maybe take a look at this from the other side and, and, and have, uh, you know, have a more conversation around this. So um, I know it's a, it's a big topic out there. Um, you know, MSPs, uh, the acquisitions are going nuts, whether it be, yeah. like you were saying, the, the private equities or, or, you know, independent businesses buying each other. So it's definitely... Um, you know, it's happening, right? So let, let's take a look at, at the best ways that MSPs can approach uh, their business and, and how they can grow. So Harlan, thank you again for your time and expertise today. Really appreciate it. No problem. Uh, Miles, has been a pleasure and I uh, hope there's uh, value. And if you're listening and want any other comments or, or have comments, questions, or want some help, or uh, is a buyer or a seller, I'm happy to chat with you and uh, evaluate uh, you know, your, your situation and provide some recommendations. So um, you can go to the mspbroker.com and you can uh, reach me directly at 604-987-5530 or email, you can send an email to um, info at, um, probably info at thehostbroker.com is the, the best one or info at uh, mspbroker.com works as well. Awesome. 
Thank you, Heartland. Uh, and everybody else out there, if you haven't already, please do uh, sign up on the Managed Services Community roster. You'll get more uh, announcements and education and great stuff like this. And so uh, thank you again. Um, everybody have a wonderful day and take care. Thanks, Miles. Bye now. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the CompTIA BizTech podcast. For more information on CompTIA membership, communities, and councils, visit comptia.org membership. If you enjoyed this podcast, the greatest compliment you can give us is subscribing, sharing, and liking the broadcast.